chapter 5. We've been working our way um, through the Gospel of Luke for the last several weeks, um, and we'll be here um, for the next uh, few months as well. I'm just kind of working through this Gospel that, that Luke um, wrote um, in the, the mid-60s um, as a second-generation believer writing to his um, Gentile patron, at Theophilus to write an orderly account um, of the life of, of Jesus, really from the birth of John the Baptist through the life, the death, the ministry, the resurrection of Jesus, and then into Acts with the church um, moving on. That it's this orderly account looking to assure people of what's going on and, and what the story is because there's been difficulty, there's been tension, and so he's looking to, to help encourage hearts who are wrestling and so as we've begun, Luke, um, we've seen the last couple weeks that we have the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and in that, he's beginning to call the first of his apostles, right? And so really what is, is happening is we're kind of having an interlude of, there was a call of this apostle, here's some ministry, now we're going to step into here's the call of this apostle, and there's some more ministry, and they're just being woven together. And what Luke is doing is he's highlighting in the call of Peter and in the call of others some of the focus of what Jesus' ministry is going to be. And so we're not going to see the call of all 12 individually, but we're going to see a few, few of those stories, and it will be giving us some kind of highlights and some insight and some perspective of what Jesus' ministry is really going to look like for the next several years. And so if you will look with me in Luke 5, we'll begin in verse 27. Remember last week we, we saw Jesus heal um, a leper and to heal a paralytic, right? These, these physical things are happening. Um, and in verse 26, we saw that amazement seized them and they glorified God, meaning the crowds, the people around that were watching. They were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Verse 27, And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we have this like kind of short vignette here of these extraordinary ministry is happening, these things are happening, and Jesus, is, as he has told us he's going to do, he's just moving throughout the area, and he comes to, to Levi, who's also known as Matthew. We see this similar story in Mark 2 and in Matthew 9. Um, comes around, comes along a tax collector. And now listen, um, it, it's not that the IRS is like particularly beloved in America, but the, the, the tax system in Israel at this time um, is particularly hated. What, basically what would happen was Rome would impose a tax, and then it would just kind of get passed down the line, right, with different levels of bureaucracy of, okay, you're in charge of it. Well, I don't really want to do it, so I'm going to assign it to someone else. Well, what would happen is every time it went down another level, a surcharge would have to be added on top of the original tax to, to pay for the person to actually collect the money. And so it, when it finally got down to the, right, the one being taxed, they're paying way more than the original tax was because they're pay, paying all these surcharges for tax collectors all the way up. Right? 
And so the, it, they're actually being really extorted. Um, and you're working for um, the government who is in your lands, right? Like they're, they've conquered you. They're occupying. And so there was a sense of you're complicit with our enemy. Like you're a traitor. Like you're one of us and yet you're working for them to extort us and to take more from us. Remember back in Luke chapter 3 when John the Baptist's ministry was taking, kind of taking um, place and the crowds were coming to him. And people were like, oh, okay, what do we do? Like how do we show God that we're repentant and that we're preparing our hearts for whatever he's about to do? And one of the ones that asked this were the tax collectors. This is in Luke 3, verse 12. Um, and he says, tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, to, to John the Baptist, Teacher, what shall we do? And his response to them was, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. He doesn't tell them to leave the profession, but he tells them be fair in it. right? Like Take only what you're supposed to take. right? Don't extort the people. And so we know that these individuals were dis... They, I mean, there was like disdain. This wasn't just a, yeah, we don't really prefer you. There was like actual hatred, disdain. Um, they, were, they were socially kind of ostracized because people hated who they were and what they stood for and what they reminded them of when they were reminded by seeing them and paying the taxes, we're not a free people, Rome's in charge. And so to see Jesus now, after doing these glorious healings, calling a tax collector, right? This isn't a fisherman who's just like an honest day's work. This is a tax collector. And he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And so listen, as, as the audience would have initially heard this, you would have stood in one of two camps, right? You would have either been broken and marred and socially outcast. And so you would have seen this and there would have been a glimmer of hope of, wait, them? There's hope for me. Maybe, maybe this Jesus is for me. And there would have been this, like, this, um, maybe just the birth of some joy or some hope that this gospel, this good news is for you. Or if you were in the in crowd, if you're, in, you're socially you're acceptable, there would have been a sense of them. Jesus, you misunderstood. Jesus, you don't want them. Right? And there would have been maybe some, um, some arrogance, some pride in this, like, ah, seriously? Not them. Jesus, we hate them. And we are justified in hating them because they're the enemy of Israel, which means they're the enemy of you, God. We don't want anything to do with them. And so you would have either landed kind of in one of, either one of these camps. And so what we see is that, that Levi, he, he leaves the, the profession behind. He rose and followed him. And that Levi then makes a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors, right? That's who he would have known, right? If he's in, having a party, he's going to know other tax collectors. They probably didn't have a lot of other friends. Um, and others were reclining at the table with them. And, and the Pharisees are just they're following Jesus, trying to figure out, like, who is this guy? Is he teaching Orthodox or not? And so they're around, and this party is happening, this meal is happening. And we see that it says in verse 30 that they, they grumbled. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they grumbled at his disciples. Right? They, they, they've already kind of been put a little bit to shame by Jesus in the last scene where he knew the, their hearts and he, he kind of he checked that by telling someone to get up and walk. And so here they are and they're grumbling to the disciples. And so you can just imagine the scene, right? Or they're, they're standing or they're sitting over to the side and they're seeing Jesus interact and they're, they're wanting him to put them in their place. Like, put these people in their place. 
Jesus. Recognize us for who we are and let them know that they're, they're not okay. They're not accepted. And so they're grumbling. And this idea of grumbling, grumbling is a lack of trust. Right? It's a lack of contentment. See, listen, as a quick aside, Scripture gives us freedom to lament. But lament is when we, we call things what they are and we say, but Jesus, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like we, we, We're hurting from this. We're broken from this. And we know that this isn't what you intended, but we trust you to be faithful in the midst of it until you restore all things. Right? There's room for us to lament and to share pain and heartache and brokenness with God and say, but I trust you in the midst of it. Grumbling right, is what, what Israel did in Exodus as they worked their way through the wilderness when it was like, hey God, I know you've done some stuff, but you're not doing it quick enough today. Hey God, I know you've provided food every day, but we want meat. Grumbling is saying, God, I don't trust you. And you're not doing this fast enough. You're not doing it to my heart's content. You're not doing it to the amount that I want. You're not doing it with the recognition that I want. And so grumbling is not taking our complaint before the Lord and trusting Him. Grumbling is saying, God, you owe me and you're not living up to it. And so here you see the Pharisees grumbling because they're not getting the attention that they want. And it's being given to others. They're kind of saying, hey, you, like, this guy seems special. He should notice us. We're pretty special too. And as they're grumbling, right, we have to ask the question, why is this such a big deal? Like Levi's the host. He's the one that's invited people. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus is hanging out with Levi and the other tax collectors and not with the Pharisees? Like why are they so upset about this? And it's because mealtime... Is a, right here is happening. There is a level of welcoming and, and acceptance that feels uncomfortable for the Pharisees. Right? That they're not, these folks are not being put in their place. They're not being shamed. They're being like, he seems to be glad to be eating with them. And you're not noticing us. Like, it's uncomfortable for us. Like, why is Jesus doing this? So, many of you know, um, we lived, Carmen and I lived in the Middle East before we had kids for a while. And a common scene would happen that we would be walking down the street um, and a vehicle would pull up next to us and they would say, hey, hop in the car, come to our house and let us feed you a meal. Now listen, like if, you, if that happens to you today, you're not getting in the car, right? Like there, there's like this sense of this is, this is how you end up on Dateline, right? Like I'm going to run while I pull out my phone um, I'm going to scream. Like, I'm not getting in the car. And, and, but folks that were, I mean, we've never met these people. But they would pull up and say, hey, come, with, come to our house. And in this culture, it's a hospitable culture. As, in, as crazy as it sounds, we would often do that. We would go with them. And we would then have a meal. And in that meal, we would be sitting, like reclined around the table um, in, in the room. And we would be partaking of a meal where it's a shared meal. And although you have a plate, potentially, you often didn't have a utensil to yourself, and you used um, your fingers, and you would take the food, and you would eat it, and you would dip it, and you would go back, and you would go back. Um, and, and in that, right, you're thinking, I don't know if I want to do that. Because here's the thing, you're touching their food, and they're touching your food. 
And so there's a level of even pre-COVID, right, where there's a level of, hey, there's, there's an acceptance. If I'm going to do that, if I'm going to let you touch the food that's going in my mouth, if you're going to touch the food that's going in my kid's mouth, um, I, I want to know where your hands have been. And so there's a level of like literal social acceptance that's taking place in, in the Middle East around the meal because they're saying, we don't agree on everything. We're actually, we had you here for the meal because we know we don't agree with you on things and that we could be viewed as the enemy, right? And yet we want to accept you. We want to bring you in. We want to eat a meal. We want to have conversation. And we learned then, like we never, we didn't leave a lot of meals in complete agreement on almost anything. Religion, politics, like anything. But there was a level of acceptance that was taking place. As Americans, we're used to sitting across the table from someone in a meal, and, and although we typically eat with people that we like, I can eat with someone I don't know, right, because you're not touching my food. And I have a fork to defend my food with if you reach for it, Right? And so, we mealtime is a level of acceptance, but it's not to the depth that we see here in, in this scene where Jesus is sitting and He's grabbing and He's eating and He's touching what those that the, the Pharisees would have said, they're the enemies of our people, Jesus. What are, you, what are you doing letting them feel like you're okay with them? Think about it. Like today, if you go out and you know some some dirt on someone, or you know some, something going on, and you see someone that you respect having lunch with that person. What are the thoughts that run through your head? What? Do they know? They, they couldn't know, right? Because if they knew, they wouldn't be eating with them. Oh, does that mean? Does that mean they agree with everything that person says on Facebook? Right? Does that mean they agree with all the crazy political stuff they say? Is that right? Like we assume sitting and having a meal with someone, what they're saying is, I fully and completely accept, believe, and agree with everything that you do. It's an affirmation. Now we know that's not true. Like we know it's not true for us, and we wouldn't want someone to view us that way, but it's hard for our own hearts and minds not to assume that when we see someone that we feel like socially they don't line up and they shouldn't be having a meal together. And it's hard for us not to believe that there's something more going on. We make assumptions. And so, and because we live in a divisive culture right now, then we tend to sit with people that we do agree with. Because we don't want to have that conversation all the time. We don't want to argue all the time. And so we then begin to find ourselves in an echo chamber where the only people we sit with are people who agree with us and think like us and talk like us. And what Jesus is doing here is He's blowing that whole thing up. Right? And he's sitting with folks that are the enemies of their people, and he's having a feast. Right? And, and the Pharisees are going, you're saying everything's okay, that they're right. I mean, they're just assuming all of these things about what Jesus is thinking or feeling or believing about these people. So Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick do. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so the, the question for us this morning is this, is are, are we going to look more like Jesus in this scene, or are we going to look more like the Pharisees? Because often the church has had a reputation of being more pharisaical, right? Of, of being the one to have drawn the lines and, and saying, 
you can't associate with them. You can't eat with them. You can't talk. Like we, We've drawn some of those lines um, historically. But what, let's notice what Jesus does here. Jesus initiates the contact. Right After this, in verse 27, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus went after Levi. He didn't wait right for Levi to come to him. He went after Levi. That Jesus pursues sinners. And what Luke is showing us here is that Jesus isn't just going after those who have physical outcasts, like lepers or someone that's paralyzed. He's also going after those who are socially outcast. He's drawing everyone back in, and he's bringing restoration. He's pursuing sinners. And so church, we need to be reminded this morning that we've been called in 2 Corinthians 5 to be the ambassadors of God. That we are little Christ who are reflecting His, His image and His character to the world. Which means that we then are, because we have first been pursued by God, that we become pursuers of people. And not just the clean ones. But the sinners. And the sinners that make you uncomfortable. And the sinners that people are going to like scratch their head and say, he's eating with them? Like That's what we are to reflect and to pursue and to do. And listen, it's not to be patted on the back. It's because Jesus has found us in our, our depth, right? in our darkness, in our seat of death, and has brought us out of the pit and has rescued us and now has called us to be an ambassador. What did he tell Peter? Hey, you're going to be fishers of men now. Like, you think you're, you're this? You are, but I'm transforming you. And you're going to get to call other people to follow me, to trust me, to know me. And so it means that our homes, our lives, our tables have to be a place of welcome. It has to be a place of security and safety, of honest conversation. So it means that at our tables, there are going to be conversations that make you uncomfortable and squirm a little bit, right? Because people are wrestling with real situations and real issues and real doubts and real needs. And they're going to have real beliefs that you don't like. And do we believe that Jesus is sufficient to transform and to rescue? Right? And that often what we see is it doesn't happen in one conversation. It doesn't happen in one moment. It is a process which means we live in the messy middle, right? Where it means that there are words are said in the presence of your children, conversations are had, that affirmations are made, that you're like, we're going to have to talk about that later, right? Like, we're going to have to clarify some things here. But that Jesus has called us to pursue those who don't yet know Him, who don't yet trust Him, and that's what He's doing here, and the religious are over there going, oh, Jesus, I think you're wrong on this one. Don't you know who we are? Don't you, aren't you going to applaud us? Aren't you going to see us for who we are? Listen, we live, um, all cultures, not just us, but all cultures have kind of an insider nature to them, right? And listen, whether it's been in school or a sports team or at work or sadly even in your own family, you know if you're inside or you're out. You know if you've crossed the line into acceptability and that you are in on all the jokes and all the things, or if you've been removed and, yeah, you can be here. We can't tell you to leave, but you're not on the inside. Like, you've all felt that. And, right, you've probably been on the inside and you've seen that someone was on the outside. 
But you've probably also been the one on the outside, knowing that you weren't yet a part. Right? That you've, you've, you've hurt and you felt that. Listen, if we go to Isaiah 25, verse 6, this would have been a promise that the Pharisees would have known in Scripture. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He's describing a feast. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, a veil that is spread over all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. There was already a hope and a promise that when the Messiah came, that what God was going to do, He's going to throw a party, and there was going to be a feast for all peoples that they would sit and they would enjoy together. And now here we see a fulfilling of this, even just in part. And they're like, ah, not them. Yeah, for us, yes, but not them, right? Jesus, not them, right? Please, not them. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm bringing the physically outcast, the socially outcast. It is for those who are aware of their need. I'm bringing them in. I'm restoring things. And they're going to enjoy this feast with me. Church, we are not called to consolidate our power and our influence, and only, only have meals, and, and only have conversations with those who can potentially curry favor for us down the road. We are meant to pursue those who don't yet know Jesus. To invite others to come and to eat and to experience what we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That we were reminded that apart from the grace of God, we're an outsider. Apart from the grace of God, we don't belong. Apart from the grace of God, we're not sons and daughters of the King, and we have no seat at the table. It is Jesus who brings us in. Not our own merits, not our own ability, not our own religious background. And so we invite people. Like, what did, what did Levi did? He invited those who were also despised like he was. He's like, come on, like, come, get a, come meet this guy. Come be a part of what's going on here. Come get in on this. It's a church we're called to invite. Those in our family, those in our neighborhood, those at work, those who are, are, are friends or parents or kids right, involved on, on sports teams or activities. right? Those in our world. And would we, would we be reminded that they're not a project? Here's what I don't want you to hear this morning. One, that people are projects. They're not. Or that you flinch or freak out if someone invites you over like, oh no, they think I don't know Jesus. <laughs> right? Oh no, they think I'm a social outcast and they want to bring me in. Jesus has meals with those who are far from him and those who are close to him. Right? He's building a family. He's building a family. And so we have meals with those who are already close with us and we continue to develop those deep relationships and we are constantly inviting folks to come be a part of it. So as we even look around the room here, there were some who you remember very vividly walking in the door for the first time, wondering, would this be a place you're a part of? And now we can't imagine this place without you. Right? Like that happens all the time. It's constantly happening. 
And so that we are inviting others to be a part of this, that knowing that Jesus has torn down the dividing walls, that we can have everything, everything can be different in what, how we view the world, and if we have Jesus, we can begin to build something together, that Jesus is sufficient. He has torn down the dividing walls, and we can have honest and real conversation and come together. It's seeing that folks right now have things they maybe need to lay down in order to trust Jesus. And that we can live in the mess, right? Because grace is present. And that people don't just all of a sudden walk in covered in the world and the next day, right, look like Jesus. We are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. All right. Our salvation can be immediate and secure, right? It is. But our transformation is slow. The process. It's important for us to note here as well that repentance is talked about. Right? Sometimes we'll take a passage like this and say, see, Jesus just wants us to have a good time. He's saying everyone's sin is okay. That's not what this passage is saying. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, they're aware of their need. Like that there's a problem. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is calling for transformation and change. He is not there to say, hey, everything y'all are doing, I applaud it. And so would we not use passages like this to say that we are accepting of sin? And it's also not an excuse for us to run out and do our favorite sin and call it mission. Right? Like we're going to go, we're going to go do the thing that we always wanted to do. We're just going to call it mission now because Jesus has given us an out. There's a call to repentance here. He, when he calls Levi, he says, follow me in verse 28. And he left everything. He laid things down. Listen, church. Scripture calls us to lay down the things that are most important to us because Jesus is more important. And it's not you do you. It's to be born again. It is to lay down the old and to have the new put on us. And so we, we're still parents or grandparents, we're still friends, we're still, like we're still those people, but our perspective has changed, and our goal has changed, and our priorities have changed, and our commitment has changed. Right? Peter was still actually a fisherman. But what mattered to him now wasn't profit anymore, but it was obedience to Jesus. Right? John the Baptist wasn't telling, them, telling the tax collectors, you can't be tax collectors anymore, he was just saying do it with integrity. What matters now is different. It's people. And it's honoring the one who has seen you and rescued you and called you. And so this morning, the call for us is, what is it that you need to lay down? Like, what is it that you're holding up and saying, Jesus, this is mine, and I'm not laying it down for you? Is it approval? Is it money? Is it power? Is it pride? Is it sin? Like, what is it that you're going, I can't lay this down? Because the scene we have here, right, those who are known sinners, they're laying their stuff down and they're getting Jesus and they're feasting. And the Pharisees are holding on to their stuff. And at, they're literally at the party and they're going, ah, not for me. Not for me. And they're holding on to theirs. And instead of being in a place of delight, they're in a place of disgust. We see the rich young ruler, right? That walks away sad from Jesus because he's unwilling to lay down what it is he has. And so he walks away sad. 
And so do we come to Him willing to lay anything down because He is more than we need. He is sufficient. He is everything. He is beautiful, and we delight in Him. And we know that we're sick and so that we get help. Or do we hold on to our things and we leave in misery and disgust and grumbling? Because what we've seen in Luke 5 is this, that Jesus, right? remember the leper? He goes, if you're willing. Jesus is willing. Jesus is available. He is approachable. Right? And He doesn't leave us the same. The reason He can sit with sinners here because he's going to pay for it. He's going to the cross on behalf of Levi and the other tax collectors at the table. He's going to the cross on behalf of the Pharisees and their sin, right? their pride, their, their independence, their spiritual superiority, their clean sins. He's going to the cross on behalf of our sins so that he can invite us to sit at the table as sons and daughters a passage that, that, that I love from Isaiah 55. Another promise that, we would have, that they would have had and known. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The one who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which that does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Right? Like what he's saying is this is this is this is it's being fulfilled before their eyes. These people didn't have money to buy, right? They were spiritually destitute. And yet Jesus is saying, No, 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 come and feast with me because I'm taking care of the bill. I'm taking care of it. And you're invited to come and eat and drink like you're the rich, right? Like that you're the one that belongs because I'm going to say that you belong. I'm going to live the life you were meant to live. I'm going to die the death that you deserve. And then I'm going to show that I am who I said that I am. And I'm going to come out of that grave having defeated sin and death, right? That I've won. And you're welcome at my table. So the question before us this morning is this. Is do, our, do our lives currently look more like the Pharisee or the tax collector? The one who is gladly, willingly laying things down and sitting at the feet of Jesus? Or the one who is scoffing in disgust? Because Jesus is saying this morning, you can lay it down and trust me, I'm good. And you can have a seat at the table. And then in that, we walk to reflect that story and that image of Jesus as an ambassador, not because we're beating our chest or our church, but because Jesus is worth it. And we want others who don't know Him yet to come and taste and see that He's good. Let's pray. Father, thank You that this morning... Your grace far outruns our sin. That whatever thing it is that we are clenching onto, that we are so unwilling to lay down, Father, that You're saying, trust me, I'm better than that. I'm good. I'm what You need. That You're calling us to lay those things down. God,
forgive those of us who have tasted and seen that you're good and now we've picked other things up and we've become religious. And we've forgotten that we were once beggars and apart from your grace we would still be beggars spiritually. God, would you give us eyes to see people? To open wide our doors and our arms to say, come and be a part. That we don't beat people with truth, but we trust that your Spirit is pursuing, that your Word is maneuvering, and that you are calling people as sons and daughters to be a part of the family and to sit at the table as those who belong. God, would we not carry ourselves in pride but in humility, gratitude that you have rescued us and redeemed us? And Lord, would we gladly be ambassadors calling others to come and receive what we've received by your grace? We want to obey you. We want to trust you. We want to be transformed by you and to see others have that as well. Lord, would you move among us now? In Jesus' name, amen.